Hi, everyone. Welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week six of the 2018-2019 curling season. This week, our recap of the action from the past weekend includes an interview with Shannon Burchard of Team Anderson, whose team earned their third title of the new season this past weekend. And with the Elite 10 taking place this week, Pierre Charette, the competition director for the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling, joins us for his annual State of the Slams interview. Among other things, we discuss the field at the Elite 10, whether mixed doubles will join the Grand Slam schedule soon, and we discuss some of the teams that may be on the verge of having an unexpected impact on the Slams. We are also joined by two skips that will be competing in their first slam of the season in Chatham at the Elite 10. Laura Walker, fresh off her victory in the mixed doubles at the inaugural Curling World Cup event in China, joins us to discuss the intriguing veteran-laden team she will be skipping this season, and we also welcome Reed Carruthers, who made noise late last season by joining forces with friend and former Manitoba rival Mike McCune for the new Olympic cycle. All this and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams, at the World Championships, and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from easy and textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable full houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.ashim.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks recap of week 6 of the 2018-2019 curling season is powered by Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. You can find them at www.curlingzone.com. At the Mother Club Fall Classic in Winnipeg, Tanner Lott and his young team from Winnipeg Beach won the men's event by defeating a young squad from Minnesota, skipped by Mark Fenner by a score of 6-5 in the final. In the women's event, Team Anderson of Winnipeg continued their strong early season play, winning their third event of the young season, throwing a 7-0 shutout in the final against Team Flaxy. Shannon Burchard, the second for Team Anderson, joined from the hack to discuss her team's victory at the Mother Club Classic and their strong start to the new season. Shannon, I realize it wasn't a Grand Slam and that perhaps the field wasn't loaded with top 15 teams, but it was quite a performance by your team on the weekend going 9-0 to win the Mother Club Fall Classic in Winnipeg. Most impressive was the fact that you threw shutouts against Team Robertson and Team Flaxy, two legitimate Grand Slam level teams currently ranked in the top 20 in the world. What were the keys to your success on the weekend as a team? You know what? 
I don't know if there was necessarily one thing that we did uh, differently this weekend. Um, I think as a team, we're just continuing to gel even more than we have. And it's been such a short period of time that we've been playing together. So it's a little bit surprising, I think, to all of us that things are going so well for us right now. But, you know, I can't really say there was one thing that we did this weekend. It just really came together and everybody played really well. And, um, and we have a lot of support for one another on the team. So, you know, if one person misses a shot, the next person usually makes it up for them. And, and that's a big help and, and goes towards winning games. Now, I realize that all of you expected to be a successful team when you first announced this new lineup, but what would you have told me if I had said to you back in May that you would win three of the first four events you played together as a team? I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, as a completely brand new team with four different people coming together, um, I would have thought it would have taken um, more than a month to, for us to win you know, one event, but... I think we're all very pleasantly surprised with how things have gone. We all put a lot of work in over the summer to um, build our team and, and really bond as well as work at all of our individual and new positions. So we're really happy that things are coming together and, and there's still lots of room for improvement, but uh, we'll get some good tests in uh, the coming months for uh, those. You've played several events already this season, winning three of them. Most athletes will tell you that winning breeds winning. So I'm wondering if that was part of the strategy of playing several events early in the season, not only to get reps together as a team, but to put yourselves in situations where you have a chance of learning to win together as a team. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And just getting a bunch of games and to get used to each other, get used to everybody's tendencies is huge uh we're maybe just we're really looking forward to having this weekend off right now um but i think it was huge for us to play as much as we did um and we also needed to kind of secure our spot in the top 15 it was we were right on the edge there uh starting out in the season and we needed to boost ourselves up to uh give ourselves um a bit of a buffer in case uh we do falter in uh one of our upcoming fields what has been the biggest challenge for you and Brianne as a front end as you have transitioned to that front end for this season? Has it been communication between the two of you or perhaps simply getting used to everyone's deliveries and tendencies? Um, for the most part, Brianne and I, like our communication with each other has been really great. Uh, sometimes I think maybe the hardest part is just communicating that to the person in the house and making sure they know where we think it is. That and then, uh, I mean, it's we're continuing to get better and better each weekend, and I think that just comes with more and more games under our belts and really getting used to it. But um, I would say that would be bigger struggle or um, something that we need to get used to a little bit more. But um, I'm going to say we're feeling pretty good about it so far and, and looking forward to getting even uh, more comfortable in those positions. And finally, Shannon, you had quite the end to the 2017-2018 season playing third for Team Jones at the Scotties and then serving as the alternate at the World Championships. In retrospect, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience? My biggest takeaway is probably just how much it prepared me for this season. I got to see exactly what I needed to put into a team as a front-end player um, by watching Jill and Dawn. Um, and then I also got to learn for myself how to be that support player rather than the last rock thrower um, playing third and then having to call line for Jen and that kind of stuff as well. So I think that really was a, was a great preparation for me 
um, and really gave me insight into what I need to do over the summer to prepare for my new role as second. In other action this weekend, Krista McCarvel and her team from Thunder Bay won the women's title in their very first event of the season at DKW Fall Classic, defeating Justin Murphy of Mississauga 6-5 in the final by stealing a single point for the victory. In the men's event at the KW Fall Classic, Alex Timofeyev and his team from Moscow scored a big five-ender in the fourth end to break open their final against Team Ainsley of Toronto on their way to a 9-4 victory. And finally this weekend at a mixed doubles event in Tallinn, Estonia, the final came down to a battle of two teams that were on the podium at the 2018 Winter Olympics with the Swiss team of Perret and Rios defeating the Norwegian team of Skazlin and Niedergotten 6-5 to win the title. If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline Curling. For those who play with the ice pad, they know it's the best curling brush. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster, or Women's Olympic gold medalist Sweden's Team Hasselberg, and their countrymen Team Adine, or how about the top Canadian teams, Team Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, Team Carruthers, Kerry Anderson, and Chelsea Carey. The list is endless. And Hardline is not just curling brooms. They offer a full range of curling equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel, and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and see why the top teams in the world choose Hardline for their equipment needs. With the Elite 10, the first event of this season's Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling, but a few days away, from the hat caught up with Pierre Charette, the longtime competition director for the Grand Slam of Curling, for our yearly State of the Slams interview. Pierre, the Elite 10 is the first Grand Slam of the new season and of the new Olympic cycle, and this year you've made a pretty significant addition by adding a women's event to the Elite 10. How excited are you and the Grand Slam team about having a women's event added to the Elite 10? Well, I think it's great, and I think uh, I think it's a good move too to to move it to the start of the season. You know, it, it's uh, it's not you know it, it's not exhibition curling, but I mean, you know, because of the format is so different, and it, it's basically a skins game without carryover. Uh, I think it's great to to play it at this time of year, and and it's funny, but the way the the pools came out is that in one pool on the women's side we have all all the teams that have changes on 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 their team. Like Carrie and Fleury, Jones, Tiranzoni, and Walker all have all have uh, uh, you know new players on their team, and then Pool B are the five teams that stayed intact, like Hasselborg, Omen, Roth, Scheidegger, and Sinclair. So I think that's going to be very interesting to to see that the, you know that the new teams are going to be trying out a new event all in the same pool, and the and the, the more uh, established teams are all going to be fighting out in the other pool. So it should be great. As you just mentioned, the Elite 10 will see a number of established teams that were together in the last cycle competing against teams that are new. Do you believe the established teams may have an advantage in the first slam of the season while the new lineups might still be finding their groove? No, you're right. Uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the teams that have been together, especially uh, in this format, right, like for, where sweeping, uh, the brushing is so important because they'll be playing a lot of freezes and stuff like that. So... Uh, uh, I agree that uh, you know the more the more established teams like Gushu and and Jacobs and these guys will be uh, you know they'll be tough and they're they're they're, they're tough to start with so they're certainly uh, might have a little edge at the start of the year but look at Epping you know he he won uh, the Shorty Jenkins uh, event last weekend played really good in the uh, previous event also so they're they gelled pretty quick so. Uh, not quite the same for uh, Carruthers' team with Mike McEwen. They they kind of had a, a bump in the road to start with. Uh, Gunlinkson qualified, but uh, 
and then they got uh, they got hammered by uh, by by Glenn Howard's team. So in the quarterfinals, so there's you can you can tell there's some tweaking in there uh, still, and uh, and it's uh, for some teams it's going to be just their first or second event. So uh, it, it'll be really interesting. But I agree with you that uh, the teams that are you know the the Gushus and the Jacobs and uh, you know the teams that uh, Nicholas Adine and uh, these guys might have a slight advantage going into the first event. The Grand Slam of Curling has a history of implementing new rules, some of which are later implemented by the World Curling Federation, Curling Canada, and others. The Five Rock Rule being a prime example. Are there some new rules or other changes that you might be testing this season at Slam events? Well, like you like you mentioned, uh, the Elite Ten is where we. Uh, really make drastic changes so so the fact that it's the first event this year and we and we played at one in the last event last year it gave us a chance you know like uh, two out of three events where uh, where we're, we're trying out stuff and uh, the one thing that was really interesting uh, the last one we introduced was the four minute end and we're definitely going to do this at the uh, at the elite 10 again and uh, and we're going to have discussions over over uh, uh, over the event to see if we want uh, to implement it in, in some of the other Grand Slams coming up. Maybe not our, our majors or four majors, you know, the Masters, the National Canadian Open, and the Championship, but maybe in the uh, Tour Challenge uh, we, we, might, we might use it. So uh, we'll be discussing that. But the main, the main, uh, the main things to, the main changes to, uh, to watch for uh, next week would be that the four-minute ends. It creates a lot of excitement because... Uh, you know, like every end is like a, in, in the skins format, every end is like a mini game, and, and and you know how much pressure it is to throw with not too many, not too much time left on the clock. When, uh, but in, in this format, it can happen every end, so which makes it cool. And there's also the no tick zone that we we've, we've been trying out for for about three years now, uh, where uh, where uh, the teams uh, without the hammer, you know, if they if they if their guard is in the pre guard zone and it touches the center line any part of the rock touches the center line the opposing team is not allowed to, to take it off the center line so it forces the, the, that team to go around which creates great offense and if they do take it off the center line it's replaced and and obviously the team that uh, that didn't make the mistake have a great advantage so we're definitely doing this again plus again there's no uh, no timing device so there's no stopwatches there's nothing that uh, can help the sweepers uh uh, the, the, you know, uh, uh, about the weight, they have to really uh, judge the weight, which I think I think is uh, is the next big change in curling. I think uh, these guys and these girls are so good that uh, we got to make it a little tougher on them. And I think uh, the fact that uh, you know you 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 uh, your your skip delivers a, an important rock in the end, and if the and if the if the, if the brushers don't have a device to help them. Uh, you know, to help them judge the weight, and we'll see more mistakes. And and we all know it's a game of mistakes, and it's a game of uh, uh, where the four players have to be on top of the game. So, including judging weight, I think is very important. And so, we're going to have that again at the uh, at the Elite Ten. Historically, it takes new lineups upwards of a season to find their groove. But with so many important events on the schedule these days, new teams have put in a lot of work in the off season to perhaps speed up the process. Do you anticipate that many of these new teams will be effective at the slam level early in this cycle? And in your conversations with different players, have they indicated that they've put in more time during the offseason to help themselves hit the ground running, as it were? I, I would say, uh, I, I would say, Frank, that there's a, there's a, a different uh, philosophy between the teams. Some teams uh, haven't played yet. Some teams have already played uh, three events. 
So, uh, you know, they're looking at it a different way. Uh, um, some are, are I, I believe, like the, the gooshoes of the world, uh, I think they might go a little slower this year. I don't, I don't expect them to miss any slams, but I mean, they might, they might uh, pass up on a few uh, events that they usually play. Um, uh, but some of the, uh, some of the new teams, I know they, they went at it early. Uh, obviously to get some, uh, you know, some play before they get to the, the to the slams. So everybody's kind of have a different uh, approach. Uh, but, uh, uh, for example, I sent the invitations for, um, for the Masters yesterday. And within 12 hours, I had uh, 12 of the 15 women's team had already replied they were coming. And I had uh, 10 of the men's team within just a couple of hours. So I think it was, everybody's excited about the new season. Uh, excited about playing with their new teams, and uh, uh, you know we. we uh, I've heard that uh, three of our first four slams, the ones all you know before Christmas, are sold out, which is which is uh, pretty amazing. So this should be great atmosphere and uh, great crowds, and, and it'll be it'll look good on TV. So we're, uh, we're, the management team at uh, you know at the Grand Slam of Curling, we're all pretty excited about, uh, to get going. From discussions I've had with several people over the past few weeks, it has become apparent that in this, the first year of the new cycle, teams from some countries have not received as much funding from their federation or their government as they did in the last Olympic cycle, while other teams have simply decided to reduce their playing schedule in the first year of the new cycle. Korea is one example of a country that have cut their funding, while certain teams, such as Olympic medalist team the Cruz of Switzerland, are playing a more relaxed schedule to start the new cycle. Has this had an impact on the Grand Slam of Curling? Have you had some teams unexpectedly refuse an invitation to either the Elite Ten or the next Slam, which is the Masters? Uh, definitely not on the women's side. Uh, um, Kim from Korea, you're right about the Koreans. It looks like the, they've cut back on their funding following, uh, they, you know, they went really hard before the Olympics, uh, the last few years before their Olympics. So it looks like they cut back a little bit this year and, and um, uh, Team Kim was the only women's team, uh, you know, to decline the Elite Ten invitation. The crews, uh, uh, Peter uh, sent me an email in the middle of the summer saying they would miss the first two because of uh, uh, Benoit, their, their, their skip, uh, as, uh, you know, he's finishing his studies and he's got very important exams and stuff. So, But he promised me they're going to play everything else, and he says I'm, we're going to play every slam until the next Olympics. So that's just, uh, you know, it's just a, a start for them, and they have a new player as well. Um, but, you know, like uh, Wallstad, who, who's the up-and-coming team in Norway, you know, like he, he replied uh, yesterday that he's coming to the Masters. And, and uh, geez, the teams from, from Scotland, I mean, there'll be three teams from Scotland in the, in the, uh, in the event in, uh, in, in Nova Scotia. So they're certainly not cutting. I mean, to have, to, for them to have three out of the 15 teams, so not every country is approaching it the same way. Uh, Scotland's got pretty young teams, so I guess they want to give them as much as experience as they can, uh, as early as they can leading up to the next Olympics. So uh, I think they have the right attitude. Uh, but, but, but like I said earlier, on the women's side, I've, uh, the women are really like the slams. I mean, I rarely, rarely get uh, uh, somebody, to, uh, one of the ladies' teams, to pass up on the slams. So on the guys' side, well, uh, uh, um, for, for this coming event, I know that... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, but for the Masters, there's a couple of teams that can't make it, but it gives an opportunity uh, for uh, new teams like Dunstone. Uh, Dunstone will get in the event now. Schwaller from Switzerland. Uh, I sent him an email last night saying that uh, 
the crews can't make it, and so they were next in line. They're pretty excited. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. You know, it's fun to see new teams out there, too. You know, there's going to be some new stars coming up, and, uh, and it's good for, uh, you know, it's good for the Grand Slam series, and it's good for the spectators to uh, find out about these teams early in the season so they can follow them for the rest of the events. So when we spoke early last season, I asked you if there was a chance that mixed doubles might eventually find its way into one of the slams, and you didn't completely dismiss it. With the success of mixed doubles at the Olympics and with the recent Curling World Cup showing that it is doable to host all three events at the same time, do you foresee a day in the near future when we may see mixed doubles as part of the Grand Slam programming? Uh, if, if, you ask, if you ask me what I personally think, I, I think we will. Uh, when, I'm not sure. Um, uh, I know we, we, we had, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but we haven't seen each other. Usually in the summer we get together and we didn't, not this summer. Everybody is really busy and stuff. So we're going to see each other, uh, next week, you know, we have, because we have a, a September event, we kind of see each other early in the year and, uh, it's certainly going to come up. I know that, uh, Christy and, uh, and the team in Toronto, uh, are already, uh, you know, looking at, at, at venues for the, the, the 2019, 20 season. So, but we did, we did talk about it and I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think we'll be able to avoid that at one point. I think we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be, uh, getting into that, that game too. It's just a question of timing and like, uh, before we even discussed it, we had booked all of our events for this year, for this coming season. So it was certainly going to wasn't going to be this year. But now we got all year to talk, to uh, to plan something for uh, for the upcoming season. Now, growing the game internationally may not necessarily be your biggest mandate at the Grand Slam of Curling, but I'm wondering if your group has ever considered saving one or two wildcard spots in your Tier Two event at the Tour Challenge, as an example, for teams from developing curling countries. As an example, Team Kubiskova of the Czech Republic performed well and were a very popular team at the Women's Worlds last season, and teams like theirs or teams from other countries, such as perhaps Spain or Estonia, would benefit so much from an appearance at an event like the Tour Challenge, not only for the players themselves, but for the growth of the sport in those particular countries. Well, that's, I think that's a great question, and uh, and to be honest, the uh, the Tour Challenge or the way it works is we take the you know, tier one is for the top 15 teams, the top 15 ranked teams. The next 10 get in, and a lot of those teams are new to a Grand Slam. So we like to, you know, it's, it kind of gives them a taste of, 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 the, of the big leagues if you want to, and the same format, same conditions, everything. And the next five are regionals. So uh, believe it or not, you know, we're going to Northern Ontario this year. We're going to uh, Thunder Bay. And we must have had, uh, you know, 12 requests to be one of the regional teams. So it's very popular everywhere we go. You can imagine if we go out west how many, how many teams would, you know, want to get in as those regional teams. So, uh, so for now, uh, you know, for this year, we, we did not think about, about getting, uh, any of those, uh, you know, other countries in there yet. Uh, cause we, cause we do get a little bit of flack from, from, from the Canadian fans. You know, saying that you know we uh, we should we should give an advantage uh, a little bit to the Canadian teams, but uh, you know to get uh, to get experience and stuff. But we're all about the World Curling Tour, as you as you mentioned. So, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, it's like I said, it's a great question, and it's uh, it's certainly something that we're going to have to look at in the future as we grow our uh, grow our Grand Slam of Curling series. 
And finally, Pierre, each year when we do our interview prior to the first slam of the season, you always identify a couple of teams for us that may not be in the first slam, but that you anticipate might surprise people and qualify for slams later in the season. Is there a team or two, both on the men's and women's sides, that fit that description this season? Well, there's, there's, this, there's this team and uh, there's a couple of teams in Ontario, actually. Uh, Scott McDonald's name's been, uh, been um, uh, you know, going around the last couple of years. Uh, you know, playing in the provincials, he played and he played in the he played the Shorty Jenkins uh, last weekend. I saw one of the one of their games played really good. And then there's there's uh, Tanner Oregon from Northern Ontario. Uh, this kid is for real. Like, he's already up 23rd in the rankings, so he's certainly going to be part of the uh, of the uh, of the tier two in uh, in Thunder Bay. And I think he's just uh, maybe a year away from uh, getting to the slams. On the women's side, there's, there seems to be another team from Japan that seems to be playing really well at the beginning of the, 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 uh, the season. Uh, Yushimura is her name. Uh, I think it's Ogasawara's team with, uh, with a change or two. But, you know, they've already played three events. They, 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 they qualify in every event. They won their first game in their spiel in, uh, in, in Kitchener last, last night. So they seem to be uh, up and coming. And uh, and I think uh, Krista McCarville from Northern Ontario, who we're, we're going to visit when we go to Thunder Bay, you know that that's a great team. It's just they don't play very much. If that team decides to play, they, they, I think they're certainly a top 15 team. And and uh, another one that's uh, you know that that's familiar is uh, Kelsey Rock, who's uh, you know decided to go back with her uh, with her um, with her junior team or the team that won university games with her. Uh, back a few years ago, so she took a step back in the standings because of it. But she's already 28, and uh, so that would be my three guests of, uh, of the teams that could go and and and, uh, and surprise. And, and obviously, I'm I, 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 uh, one that I, I shouldn't uh, shouldn't forget is uh, Isabella Rana from Sweden. I mean, she's playing a little bit in the shadow of uh, Asselborg, but that's a great young team. Uh, they they actually won the event uh, last weekend and uh, at the Shorty Jenkins, uh, they played amazing. If if I look at the year to date uh, standings right now of all the teams that I know it's early in the season, but they're leading. I mean they got more points than anybody else. So the so and down to, now they're ranked 16th. So they're they're really close. I mean they're they're going to be in, in, in some of the uh, you know the, maybe the Canadian Open uh, certainly and the in the Champions Cup because they won this, this big event this weekend and the way they're going they're probably going to be in, in the championship. So uh, no, uh, so there's uh, so there's some really up and uh, up and uh, coming teams and uh, every year we we do get a, a couple uh, you know a couple more. So those teams that are you know. Uh, 10 to 15, they got to watch out, you know, they got to perform in the first couple of slams because if they don't, they're going to be bumped out by those, uh, those up-and-coming teams. Over the past eight months or so, Laura Walker has certainly proven herself to be one of the better mixed doubles players on the planet. Along with partner Kirk Myers, Walker won the 2018 Canadian Championships, finished third at the World Championships, and earlier this month won the mixed doubles event at the inaugural Curling World Cup in China. However, Walker also happens to be the skip of the 7th-ranked women's curling team in the world. She leads a veteran team of players including Kathy O, Laurie Olsen-Johns, and Lainey Peters, who have been a part of a dozen Scottish championship teams, have won two world championships and 12 Grand Slam titles combined. Laura Walker joined from the hack to discuss her new women's team, her progression as a curler over the past few seasons, and we do talk some mixed doubles.
Laura, this season you will be on a team that will remind older members of our audience of the 1967 Maple Leafs, a young leadership corps surrounded by veterans still very much capable of providing elite performances week in and week out. It's been a few years since you started the season as a full-time skip. How comforting is it for you to do so surrounded by three players that are not only very talented, but also come with a depth of experience? Yeah, I think I'm I'm very lucky. I'm really grateful to be playing with those uh, three girls, and they've made me feel super comfortable already. Like our first practice even that we were together, I think it was Lainey who said to me, um, you know, we want you in this position. We ask you to do this, and we really trust you to be our leader. So to hear those words from, uh, you know, someone with her experience and from the rest of my team, it's still it was still a little bit weird, I'll, I'll say, holding the broom for the first rock that Kathy O threw at me. Like, that's never something that I ever imagined in my wildest dreams I'd be doing, I'm holding the broom for those girls. But um, I'm slowly starting to get used to it, and, um, yeah, I just feel really grateful. This week you are headed to your first Grand Slam as a skip in several seasons. How different of a player is Laura Walker than you were four or five or six years ago when you were skipping a team on the World Curling Tour? Yeah, I think a lot of things that helped me are the same. For example, my perpetual overthinking. I think that's what maybe makes me an okay skip is that I'm uh, I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking ahead, watching the ice, um, you know, anticipating what the opponents are going to do and that sort of thing. So that part of me is the same, and I think that will be – um, a benefit, but I also think that I've just come a long way as far as my mental game and that sort of thing. I think mixed doubles has been great for me. I've been having to throw last rock again in meaningful games uh, with mixed doubles, so I kind of have that feeling back under my belt. That's not something new for me, just thanks to mixed doubles over the last couple of years. So um, I feel a lot more comfortable, you know, than I could for how much time has been off, and I know I have my teammate support kind of the whole way if I if I need a little bit of help getting back into it. I want to follow up on something you've just touched on. I realize that the two disciplines are different, but you have uh, faced a number of pressure situations throwing last rock at mixed doubles events over the past couple of seasons. How have those experiences helped you prepare for your role as a skip of a team that started the season ranked in the top 10 in the world? Yeah, I actually, I don't know if I can even begin to list the number of ways that mixed doubles has helped just me as a curler. I think that mixed doubles really brings back just like straight up shot making into the game. Like most of the time for me anyways, I'm not throwing at a broom. Um, It doesn't matter if I throw it perfectly or if I look like a donkey doing it. It's about making the shot. So I think that it's brought that back into the game a little bit for me. I used to be very, very focused on uh, my technical and I'd be more worried about throwing it well and, and making sure I was hitting the broom and all of that and then it would take away from just my shot making. So I think Mixed Devils has really, really helped me uh, with that side of thing and, and also, sorry, also um, just the flow of the game. You have to be fast in Mixed Devils and I think that that also helps kind of my decision making processes in, in women's play and um, like you said, just the pressure of having to throw a last rock um, in mixed doubles and also the first rock. Like I think I've my draw weight has really improved since I started playing mixed doubles, but from having thrown that first draw so many times and then getting in the hack to throw a shot to win a game again after not doing that for a few years, um, all that put together I think has just really helped me as a player overall. You recently were part of the team that won the first ever Curling World Cup title. Can you put into words what that was like and how it felt to wear the Maple Leaf on your back again after doing so in last spring's World Mixed Doubles Curling Championships? Yeah, we um, didn't expect to wear the Maple Leaf again so soon, I don't think. And um, the country that we play in, it's, it's a rarity to be able to put a Maple Leaf on your back. I think that we 
are, are not taking that experience for granted whatsoever. We showed up when we wanted to to represent our country really well. We wanted to do the the best that we could, and I think uh, that we did that obviously and had a lot of fun doing it. And um, I just love playing with Kirk. I love playing mixed doubles. To be able to go to China and do so was was super cool. It was a really great experience. Um, but you know, we were just on the right side of things that day, so we get to have these chats, and we're we're pretty lucky. One last question about mixed doubles, Laura. Inquiring minds want to know if you and Kirk have made any progress with the committee to find a new mixed doubles partner for your husband, Jeff Walker. Yeah, I think Jeff likes the time off a little bit. Like, I'm not sure if he's he's looking to play at all. The problem with Jeff is that Team Gushu is too good. So any partner that he finds, they might uh, be without a partner at the mixed doubles nationals again if Gushu makes the world for another year. So Jeff and I are actually going to play in an event in Banff while uh, Kirk's brother Dallin is getting married. So we'll get to play um, in a little event together there. And then maybe we'll find, hey, we're married now. We were never married when we played mixed doubles, so maybe now we won't like it so much anymore. We'll see. We'll see how Banff goes, and then we'll take it from there. And finally, Laura, what's the approach for your team this season? Are you viewing it as a getting-to-know-you season with uh, Kathy O and with uh, Lori Olson-Johns and with Lainey Peters? Or are you going full speed ahead in an attempt to win as often as possible and make your way up the rankings, hopefully qualifying for some of the major events later in the year, such as the Scotties and the Players' Championship, etc.? Yeah, with with us being, like you said, a kind of an older team, the, the other three didn't plan to play this year. As of the end of last year, all of them had kind of thought that they would retire. And um, so for us, we're really just taking this a year at a time. We're going to play this season and uh, see how things go. So we want to win as much as we can, as quickly as we can. We would love to get back. Uh, I know the other uh, couple, Lainey and um, Kathy, lost out in that wild card game last year. And Lori's been to the Scotties a few times recently. We'd all love to get there for sure. That's a big goal um, of ours and perform really well on the slam tour so that we can get ourselves into the players and hopefully be in line for that Rogers Cup bonus and all those things. So we are hoping to uh, get past, get to know you, and get straight to success. Before we get to our final guest of this week's podcast, I'd like to remind everyone that From the Hack is part of the Curling Podcast Network. This week, the ladies at Two Girls in the Game are taking a breather, but you could listen to the excellent interview they did recently with Adam Kingsbury, the former coach of Team Homan. Meanwhile, on the Curling Legends podcast, their latest guest was Ian Tetley, who won three world championships in his career, playing with Al Hackner, Ed Wernick, and Wayne Mada. Finally this week, one of the teams that got a lot of attention during the offseason was Team Carruthers. The addition of Mike McCune at third makes Team Carruthers, at least on paper, one of the better teams in the world. After a somewhat slow start to their season at the Shorty Jenkins Classic, Team Carruthers will be looking for a strong performance at the Princess Auto Elite 10. Reed Carruthers joined us to discuss his new team and to look ahead to the Elite 10. Reed, you played your first event with your new lineup at the Shorty Jenkins Classic recently. Results aside, were you satisfied with the way your team played in your first event together? Yeah, no, it was, uh, we had a lot of fun, that's for sure. It was, it was a totally different feel. You know, you're used to seeing Mike McEwen in, in the rink, uh, you know, on opposing sides. So it's interesting walking into the rink together. I know, you know, there's lots of people that were, curious to follow our team and see how we did in our first event you know we're one of those intriguing combinations uh there's definitely a few this year of of new look teams so uh but for me you know it was it was a lot of fun on the ice and you know it was a good learning curve too because we we come from two different backgrounds and, and approach the game a little bit differently 
When we spoke not long after the new lineup was announced, the way you and Mike were going to approach calling the game and the way you work as a back end seemed to still be fluid and still needed to be up for discussion. Did the Shorty Jenkins give the two of you a chance to get a better feel for what might work best for the two of you under tournament conditions? Well, it kind of it op- it opened our eyes, I guess, a little bit to some of the things that we definitely need to work on and discuss. Um, you know, we had we had only had three time for three practices as a team. Um, before we left for Cornwall. So um, we were a little green, uh, played against some teams that had already played an event. Um, you know, we just maybe weren't weren't as prepared as we wanted to be. But, you know, for us, uh, we wanted to ease our way into the season. You know, I had my camp that went on for two weeks. Uh, so as far as practicing in the evenings uh, and getting that dedicated practice time, you know, we, we found it hard to do so in, in those uh, opening weeks of September. And it's just now, you know, we're, we're into it full bore now. And we've had, we've had some really good team discussions and practices since, since our first event. And I think uh, there's going to be, you'll see some growth uh, as we move forward here. At the start of the last cycle, your team was somewhat under the radar because you were a new, younger lineup, even though some of you had had some even international experience, you winning a world championship with uh, Jeff Stoughton. How different does it feel this time around where so much is now expected of your team and you have a much bigger target on your backs heading into this season? The thing is, like, we we expected our team to do well the last time around. And, and really, you know, who are you out there playing for? We're out there, we're out there playing for our, our own unit. So whether or not people thought we were going to do well in our, in our former team right out of the gates or even with this new unit where we expect a lot out of ourselves and want to, want to perform. So, you know, that being said, this is now four years later and, and I've got four more years of skipping uh, experience under my belt and I'm, I'm adding, uh, adding a two-time Manitoba champ. Uh, you know, I think he's a seven-time slam winner to to our team so for us uh you know we're adding a lot of expertise and we are a new team and i think the expectations are probably just a little bit higher but uh right out of the gates you know i I don't expect us to be in mid-season form uh, and just entering our second spiel the elite 10 the first grand slam of the season uses a modified skins format which typically makes for games with more rocks in play than you would in a typical curling game do you believe that the format will help teams that are still trying to find their groove early in the season, or would you have preferred playing a more traditional format so early in this new cycle with your new lineup? Yeah, you know what the the Elite Ten is is a really fun uh, tournament to play in. It's uh, it's high stakes because we are still playing for the same purse as the other slams, uh, and you're playing against some of the best teams in the world. So, you know the competition is definitely tough. Uh, would I have wanted another? format first probably not being that it's the first slam of a quadrennial you know uh to play a a quote-unquote little more fun slam right out of the gates uh i think my team is uh definitely excited for that um you know so i'm i'm not sure if i if i could say i i like or dislike the idea of playing this format now versus later uh i think there's pros and cons to both Speaking of format or rule changes, the implementation of the five rock rule in all events this season on the World Curling Tour and at international events has received a lot of buzz. How much of an advantage is it for your team and others that have significant experience with the rule at Grand Slam events over the past few seasons? 
Yeah, there might be there might be an advantage, uh, but at the same time, because a lot of these slams are on TV, I think uh, you know if if my team was on on the out, outside looking in and trying to get into the slams, I would have been doing my uh, research and watching to see some of the strategy that's employed in it. So I don't think it's going to be it's not going to be a total new coming to a lot of uh, teams um, that have maybe not played it yet. You know, in, in the grand scheme of things, things actually don't change all that much when uh, when you have the hammer. You can approach it. You can approach it the same as as four rock roll uh, if you really wanted to. It just gives you an option of having another guard. And when you uh, when you don't have the hammer, it forces you to play a little more aggressive because you can't uh, peel the guard yet. Another tweak to the rules that has been tried out at the slams and was implemented at the recent Curling World Cup were time limits for each end as opposed to a limit for the entire game. Do you find that this can impact your ability to properly call a game, or does it simply force you to be more decisive in calling shots? Yeah, you know, it it does make it a little more difficult uh, because you can't really sit back and think all, all that much. Uh, it's just going to take teams, I think, especially the new teams, um, prior to a match starting, you know, prior to an event starting, you have to get on the same page for as far as how you want to call the game and how you want to approach certain ends. So, you know, whether you have the hammer or you don't, you know, you get that team motto for, okay, well, this is what we're probably going to be playing here. So, uh, you know, there's a little little less, uh, little less time wasted um, talking about options, you know. So I think I think that might be required for some teams, uh, but I do like the idea of having having a game flow. Uh, I know personally, like our team, uh, over the last four years, you know, when when we were curling with Braden, we definitely noticed that uh, we played we played a little bit better when we had a flow to our game. You know, we weren't taking too much time thinking, overthinking things, and you know, this this four minutes per end is kind of conducive to that. So I. Uh, I actually really like it. And finally, Reed, how is your team approaching the 2018-2019 season? Are you viewing it more as a season of transition and adjustments where winning events will be important, but the main focus will be on building a solid foundation for the new cycle? Or are you, in fact, focused on winning and aiming to make your way towards the top of the world rankings? Yeah, we de- we definitely want to uh, win a couple events this year in off the season. If the season were to an end and you know we were a top five team at the end of the season you know in the world ranking system I'd say the season was success it is a building year it's going to be a building year for most teams teams like Gushu that are have curled together and been very successful you know they might have have some high expectations of their season but you know there is there isn't a whole lot of trials implications for for this year I I think if we were to have a really good season we could we could earn our way into the pre-trials but you know that's that's not going to be one of those things that's uh, going to be all that important for us at this point. It's it's about getting the chemistry, getting the dynamic, figuring out how each other throws, uh, and then you know making an extensive list of you know here's where we are, here's where we want to get to, and how do we get there. It's more about executing a plan, you know, and developing a, a pretty sophisticated plan uh, for the rest of the season. And that does it for this episode of the From the Hack podcast. A big thank you to all of our guests. Join us next week when we recap the Elite 10 and we look ahead to a very busy stretch on the World Curling Tour schedule. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.